Welcome to the From Battle to Business podcast. In this podcast, business coach and fellow veteran Dean Van Dyke will bridge the gap between service and civilian life, helping guide veteran business owners to supercharge their business and unlock hidden profits. You wouldn't go into battle alone, and now you don't have to in business. Let's get to it. Well, welcome back. This is From Battle to Business with your host, Dean Van Dyke. And today, I am fortunate to have Second Lieutenant Matthew Weiss. Matthew's an intelligence officer with the United States Marine Corps. Previously, he's worked in mergers and acquisitions at a cutting-edge defense technology company. He holds an, a Bachelor of Science and an MBA from the Wharton School of Business at the University of Pennsylvania. Most importantly, he's a member of Gen Z, which we'll dive into today, and he cares deeply about solving this issue of service. Welcome, Matthew. Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to talking. Likewise, um, I think you are my first active duty person on the podcast. So welcome. Perfect. So in 60 seconds or less, tell us who Matthew is. Yeah, I'm a New Jersey boy. Very proud of that. Um, joined the Marine Corps, uh, sort of a non-traditional background to the Marine Corps, had a business past. Um, mm-hmm. And essentially writing of this book, I try to incorporate my business education, my business past to the modern day military and to the recruiting crisis. And so in many ways, I'm trying to speak for Gen Z about how, as a military, we can do better. And that's sort of my persona right now. Nice. So let's, um, I know you've been in the Marine Corps, I think, um, but tell us how the Marine Corps is shaping who you are and where you're headed. Absolutely. So one of the reasons I say that I joined the Marine Corps, a very external reason, is it's the greatest, in the military in general, is the greatest leadership factory in the world. It's the greatest leadership lessons that you can learn anywhere. And so I looked at military service personally as an investment in myself, as an investment in my career, very what's in it for me mindset, which some people have problems with, but I think Gen Z is very open with that. They want to know what's in it for me, what do we get out of it? And so for me, I literally joined this organization, turned down XYZ jobs and other opportunities because I wanted to learn how to lead people, how to have a group of Marines and be able to guide them towards a, a mission or a task. And so the Marine Corps has already shaped me, you know, more in, in a more impactful way than any other civilian job could possibly, right? It's a whole lifestyle change. It's a whole uh, emotional, mental mindset change, but it makes leaders from the lowest junior ranking Lance Corporal to the highest general. And so it really has helped develop a, a leader mentality in me. Every day that I face my Marines, in the morning, right, I, I have to lead and I have to sort of hold myself to that standard. So it's been a really amazing uh, personal development and also leadership development experience. Well, that's awesome. So, yes, the the military, unbeknownst to a lot of folks out there, is truly a leadership factory. I mean, some of the the schools that you're sent to, I mean, are just they're second to none. Uh, but one of the key issues facing us today, as your book outlines, you know, we don't want you, Uncle Sam, addresses a very critical topic that, you know, some have even elevated to the point of a national security issue. And that's the issue of military recruitment, because I looked at the numbers today and they're not looking good for 2023. Um, There's significant headwinds out there that the recruiters are facing. So tell us about a little bit about your book. And we're going to dive into that today and, and really just focus on what is that challenge out there and how do we overcome it? Perfect. Yeah. So, I was watching the news like so many Americans and I kept seeing these recruiting crisis reels come on and they had great senior leaders, people that I have ultimate respect for, uh, generals, admirals, 
you know, multiple stars uh, talk about, you know, the military recruiting crisis. And I was sitting there and I was thinking, well, that's great. And those are people that we need for military strategy. And I have full respect for my senior leaders, but they were recruited like 30 to 40 years ago. Some of them, they are way out of the recruiting pipeline. They have no idea, frankly, what's on my Instagram page, what's on my 18 year old brother, what's on his TikTok and Instagram feed, right? They're not in that mindset. Some of them have kids, some of them have grandkids in, in that age at this point, right? And so I think that was a, a major issue I saw. I saw the lack of a voice of our generation saying, hey, this is how we're thinking. This is how Gen Z is operating. This is what I sort of can add to the conversation. That's why I initially had the impetus to write the book. Um, it's 21 chapters. It has a mix of every chapter is a sort of problem diagnosis and then a solution, right? In the military, we're taught come with solutions, not just problems. So look, I'm young. I'm I'm naive in many ways. Some of my solutions people can hate. That's fine. The main goal of the book is to generate conversation, to have all of us thinking about this issue. How can we reform the force quickly enough to attract this next generation? We're going to jump into the reform of the force uh, in a little bit. But one of the things I want to talk about is is the, so I did preview the book. Uh, I did, you know, look at some of the the things that were in there. And, and one of the things that drives a Gen Z or is purpose, you know, and however you want to call what that purpose is. But, you know, one of the presidents that I look up to is John Kennedy. And, you know, President Kennedy said, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. So how is that not a big enough purpose for a Gen Zer to join the military or even serve in the Peace Corps or AmeriCorps? I mean, is Help us help my audience understand that, you know, what kind of purpose are you looking for? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great question. And I talk about purpose a lot, meaning, right? Gen Z needs to understand mm-hmm. the meaning of their work. And frankly, the, the military is large. We, we understand it's a massive bureaucracy. It's hard to distill purpose. Yes, if you're Lance Corporal swinging a shovel on a base somewhere, theoretically, you are serving the national defense, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a huge purpose. But it's very hard to internalize that in a lot of modern military roles. If you're not out in combat doing X, Y, and Z, it's hard to understand how you swing a shovel somewhere is actually leading to that purpose. So mm-hmm. I think the way that Gen Z looks at purpose, and one thing that we look at differently, I alluded to this in the beginning, we're, we're very much, we, we want to understand how that larger purpose is impacting ourselves, right? So one of the, the things I call for in society is that, yes, in World War II, 10 million person army, whatever, we, it was okay to, or 8 million person, it was okay to say, um, you know, rally around the flag, patriotism, that's what's going to mm-hmm. be your main purpose. I think Gen Z is much more open and honest with being, saying things, hey, my purpose in the, in the military is to build up those around me. My purpose in the military is because I want to provide for food for my family. My purpose is I want to get an education. All those things are bettering American society and bettering the individual joining, but they're open with that. And we have to be okay with that. The person that does come in and say, I'm joining because I'm super patriotic, rally around the flag as their main purpose. And the person that comes in saying, I'm doing this because it's the best option that I had at a high school. They're equal levels of service. One's not better than the other. We shouldn't right. judge in that way. Um, we should be accepting of all because once we come into this organization, if we can convince people to come in, they will develop deeper, larger purpose and more in line with what President Kennedy and yourself sort of alluded to as the military does important things throughout their lifetime. So one of the things, I mean, even when I was in, and this was, well, we'll say a few decades ago, um, it, 
people came in for a variety of reasons, whether it was the flag, whether it was it was their best option, whether it was I need to avoid something or I need to get out of a situation. Um, and and so I think that still rings true today. However, you mentioned something that I think is is truly, truly a problem. And Jeff Bezos says it best is what's dangerous is not to evolve. And you've already noted one thing about who's sitting in the Pentagon, who's sitting in Congress. Um, the Department of Defense is a bureaucratic beast. I mean, let's face it, it, it is a monolith that is very tough to move. Um, so how do they change in light of that? Because they need to change and they need to do it quickly and they're not known for changing quickly. Yeah, it, it, it's it's a super big issue and various parts of the book we'll talk about. We have this industrial era thinking, frankly, around human resources and manpower. And senior leaders are trying their hardest. I'm not the book is not bashing senior leaders. It's not no. um it, it's not saying that they're not they're not aware of these things. They are. But because we have such a big bureaucracy, if we can use the word Kafka S, right? Franz Kafka, the, the writer sort of talks about it. It's very hard to, to undergo this rapid change that we need. It's hard to steer this giant ship. A small company can move a lot faster, right? But we can't allow that to be an excuse not to continue to try and to be outmaneuvered by the forces that are because it, it's difficult. So the way I approach this change concept is, look, there's a lot of things that can be done. No one magic bullet. Everyone wants like, what's the biggest thing you could do to change recruiting? It's, it's, it's a bad question because it's not one answer. Right. It's a lot of things on society and the military. But if you do a lot of these little small changes, you're going to work on these industrial level things. So the first mindset has to be, yes, we have to have this innovation mindset. And we have to attack a lot of the structural bureaucracy things that are stopping and holding us back. So there's a lot of policies out there that are just red tape for no reason. I'll use an example. So MEPS. MEPS has been exposed, right? Military interesting processing. Um, as sort of an industrial level era thinking, right? If I'm a young 18-year-old today and I want to join the army, for example, become a soldier, sometimes it could take up to three months from the time I graduated high school, sign on the dotted line to actually go through MEPS processing. That's bad because if you're a high schooler, Right. You're you're you don't, you don't have any job in those three months. You're going to say, you know, what, screw this. I want to go work at Home right. Depot or McDonald's and I'm done. I'm not waiting three months to get some doctor form, some waiver. That's an issue. So as one small example of sort of old bureaucratic issues that we have to work on streamlining these processes. So that's interesting. So it can take up to three months to get it get through MEPS. I mean, that's that was unheard of in my day. I mean, yeah, yep. It, it can take even longer. So, for example, now we'll touch into health. And these are obviously specific things, but I, I like talking about all of them. Um, there's the health processing. You know, there's this new thing, MHS mm -hmm. Genesis, that basically is is a positive concept where all your medical records are available. Right. The issue now, though, is if I broke my arm in the third grade, I could be a varsity athlete, uh, amazing. You know, ready to go, going to crush boot camp. But if I broke my arm in the third grade, it comes up on my screener now. And I have to go get a doctor review potentially to say, hey, he broke his arm, but he's OK. And now he's going to be, you know, not suing the military in five years because of his broken arm in third grade. Right. So there's a lot of issues with that. And so you could be in the pipeline, like trying to get these medical waivers, trying to get marijuana waivers. That's another thing, whatever it may be to go through the slow pipeline. The MEPS appointment is not that long, but the actual scheduling right. and such onboarding is slow. Whereas if you want to go to Amazon. Right, look at Amazon, you're you're hired and signed like the next day. 
It's super seamless. And so we need to sort of work a little bit better around that. That's one example. Well, I think one of the things though, you know, just from a, so I'm a lean practitioner and one of the bigger challenges I see with just government in general is, is they're not lean. I mean, they, the policies and processes that are in place, just like you talked about, is a significant hindrance to accomplishing the end goal. Um, because, you know, we can talk about companies that didn't innovate, right? And all day long. I mean, those brands are gone. They're not, they're not here anymore. Not like that's going to happen to military, but there's got to be some recruiters out there that are making it happen and getting it done. What are, I mean, have you had a chance to talk with them and just say, Hey, how are you doing this today? How are you getting, building that relationship? Because that's what it is. I mean, my recruiter built that relationship with me and I know you went through OCS, one of the hardest programs to go through as an officer. So how are they doing that today? It's a great question. And it's one I want to answer sort of with my, my also macro recommendation as well. So, so yes, the recruiting force is one of the, we all know it's one of the hardest jobs in the military, right? It's not easy because you're selling a product and the product is a change in someone's lifestyle. I'm not selling you, you know, a pencil. I'm selling a very difficult product that is really right. life altering, frankly. Um, and a lot of people don't join the military to become a recruiter. So we've seen issues where you, know, you get sent to recruiting. Oh, it's miserable. It's horrible. It's so hard. You didn't join or sign up to do this. Now, both the Marine Corps and, and the Army and, and the branches are doing a lot better. They're prioritizing their recruiting force. They're really innovating. Secretary of the Army, Christine Wormuth, is really leaning in on this. I give her a lot of credit. Um, and she she's basically making it possible to be like a career recruiter where this is your job, just like how oh, in private companies, you know, they have the HR recruiters. They stay in recruiting potentially their whole 20-year career. So that that is a positive, I think, trend people that are really good at it that want to do it. Now, yes, individual recruiters are, some of them are great. Some of them are struggling, right? Some of them have innovative methods. We need to arm them with as much A, data, but also modern technology techniques. Like one recruiter story I had, he used TikTok and he got like this wow. popular local sort of rapper influencer to, you know, help and, and influence, but then he got in trouble for it because he used TikTok on his phone, whatever. So that's an example of like, hey, maybe wrong method but right intent and that intent needs to be prioritized and supported because he actually was making an impact with the the local uh people in his community right that, that's exactly what we need now i think to augment the recruiting force in my opinion and this is sort of the big call to action of the book is one of the biggest ways that we can all assist is all of us be recruiters and how what does that mean in every organization in the private sector almost everyone has a recruiting duty when i was in my private company I was in a finance business role, but I knew it was sort of incentivized, A, monetarily, like if I brought someone in, I would get incentivized, but B, for survival of the company, I would share the company and send job openings to everyone I knew, business school friends, high school friends, engineers, whoever it was. That's not the same mentality in the large bureaucracy of the military because we have a recruiting command and because it's never brought up. After you're recruited, you're sort of done, right? Like no one's sitting there and thinking, oh, I should go back and call my high school friends. Some people do it informally or inorganically, but it right. should be sort of organically, but it should be a mandated um, task. I should have a tasker from my commanding officer, just like my yearly training, you know, drug resistance training, tobacco cessation training, all those trainings. It should be a mandated task that I, Matthew, call five people from my high school 
or speak to five younger kids that I mentored throughout you know, high school and soccer or whatever. And I should have to talk to them just one hour call once a year mm-hmm. about the military. And that should literally be a task. And that would really augment the recruiting force where our own best advocates, people look up to us in some ways. And I think that would be a really positive call to action and an impact. Well, that would be, I mean, what do you have? 1.3 million recruiters at that point. There you go. Um, exactly. I mean, <laughs> it's, it, it's, uh, it's, that would be a force to be reckoned with. I mean, that would be, uh, you know, obviously with keeping OPSEC in mind, because, yep. you know, don't be sharing stuff on social media. You shouldn't be, but, um, so one of the things you also talk about is that in the book is that there's a, a fear of mental health disorders. And, and we know PTSD has stigmatized us in the military as well as veterans for, for a long time, right? We ignored it with Vietnam vets all the way, you know, even into the Persian Gulf War that I served in. Um, but it's really come front and center with, you know, 22 veterans a day taking their own life so i get where they're going with this that they don't want to be they they don't want to inherit you know a mental health disorder so how when you touched on that in the book that struck a chord with me because i've had fellow you know friends that i served with that are no longer here um and i mean i mean that's a true you know because mental health is not in, I'll say embraced in this country. I I totally understand where they're coming from. So and that's got to be a huge hurdle to overcome. Yep. How, how do you? Yeah, go ahead. It's a great question. So one of the things I you know I did a lot of research for the book Generation Z, my generation, which just to define by the way is sort of born 1997 to 2012. We are the most mentally struggling generation in history. Whether that be social media, the time period we grew up in, right, we report higher rates of depression, anxiety, um, social issues, specifically mental health issues, m- more than any other generation. So if we already are struggling, you know, a lot of issues in the military, PTSD in the past, think of this new crop, this generation that's already coming in and is struggling with these issues. So this is a massive perception issue. And it has to be changed positively, marketed and actually done, that the military is a place to grow your mental health, to grow your mental resilience, that supports your mental struggles as well as your physical. So one of the things I call out in the book, for example, look, we have this great history of corpsmen and medics. They're unbelievable, right? It's something unique to the United States military, but they're all physical usually. They're physically focused. And it's all, you know, did you break a bone? Can you walk? Can you hike with the pack, et cetera? There needs to be a baseline level of mental health support and mental health training mm-hmm. at that initial technician sort of level where, hey, anyone could be a counselor. Anyone could be that person to talk to and actually embracing not through these random online courses, but through actually like having this culture of, hey, mm-hmm. I'm struggling with this. I'm supporting this and making it a very mandated, again, way to actually support the force and grow our mental health and grow our resilience so that the junior Lance Corporal or private comes in, knows he can talk, he or she can talk to the corpsman in a second because they're a, a little bit more trained than the rest of us, but all of us are, are acknowledging and working mm-hmm. on mental health stuff. And that becomes the perception the military is great for mental health. It's a super positive place for this. That would really, really, really impact um, and assist all of us, I think, and the perception so as, of the military. I mean, as a leader, you're already a counselor. I mean, you may not have that task order, but you are already a counselor, even though you know, even the work that I do, I mean, I get into life coaching and dealing with issues, whether it's 
you know, folks that are challenged with some type of disorder or not. But now I don't, I'm not a trained counselor, but in the military, I, I think that would be a phenomenal change that would drastically help and destigmatize mental health. Um, and I mean, I, I love that idea. Um, so one of the other concepts you talk about is workforce parity. And it, was the workforce parity concept civilian to military or how help, help the audience understand what you mean by that? Yeah. So I broke the book down into, you know, the 21 chapters are broken into sort of four parts. And basically it, it is sort of explaining um, how Gen Z views work in the modern day. We had COVID, we had remote work, whatever. The military is always going to have unique place in the mind, a unique work place. It's not like any civilian job, but there's a lot of expectations that our generation has for a modern civilian workplace that mm-hmm. has to be somewhat in line with Gen Z. And the reason I say this is because the biggest areas that we're struggling with recruiting, it's not the special ops guy that wants to go and, you know, that cadre is going to be strong because we have this type and this phenotype to fill that. What you're going to struggle on is the supply worker who could literally be in supply chain in McDonald's or supply chain in the military, very similar job, doing very similar tasks, one in uniform, one not. And that's the person that you're trying to convince to put on the uniform, right? And I just, I don't, anything against supply. I'm just using that as an example. There's a lot of civilian corollary. So there's a lot of things that we can do to make military life and military work a little bit more like civilian life and work uh, without sacrificing our standards, because we don't want to do that without sacrificing our lethality. In fact, increasing our military lethality. One of them, it's a little controversial. Um, it gets interesting feedback, but it's it's paying for performance. And what does that mean? It means Generation Z is competitive. We want to compete, right? Mm-hmm. We we know when we post online, if we if I got 15 likes, my friend got 14 likes, we were just raised to be naturally competitive. We're not like millennials that with everyone gets a trophy generation. We're different than them. That, that, that's one of the things I, I think an insight that, that's interesting. So what does that mean? That means in the workplace, I don't want to be the lowest common denominator, right? So if we're all corporals and we're all going out on an exercise, we should all be a great team, right? Mm-hmm. But you can incentivize team A or squad one versus squad two because they did better in the exercise or they performed better or this person performed 10 times better than the next five pers- people in the mm-hmm. squad. They should have either a little monetary incentive or a fast promotion ability to actually rise up right? or else everyone sort of falls back to the lowest common level. There's no incentivization for performance quote. And some of the highest performers get out and they say, I want to make more money. I want to go into a place that I can actually make more money if I perform better. Um, And that's an important or be rewarded money or not money responsibility, whatever pushes them be rewarded for performing better. So it's an interesting concept. They're trying to do things with like faster track promotions. One of my calls is the, Hey, I got to sort of lean in a little bit more. It's got to be more ubiquitous and better known that, Mm -hmm. Hey, I can grow. I can maybe 10% of my salary is performance-based bonus. Uh, let me go chase that. I, I can make a big difference on my, my year, my family that year. Wow. That pay for performance in the military or government in general. I know some GS levels get that, but that would be interesting. Yep. <laughs> That'd be a game changer. Um, so I know Gen Z is, is, you know, there's, I can't think of all the apps that are out there, social media wise. And, and you talk about reaching Gen Z in more modern ways, um, you know, what, how, I mean, you're a recruiter that reached out via TikTok, definitely modern way, but what other ways can, can Gen Z be reached? 
But if you look at like some of the studies on Gen Z patterns versus millennials, so millennials when, when the um internet was created, all the social media was very much hive mind. It was like, oh, we're all flocking to you know what the latest super trending topic is, right? And we all, and everyone flocked to it because it was like the the way the actual network algorithms were written. It was you know. Gangnam style dance is going on. Everyone's flocking to Gangnam style dance. Gen Z is much more. Um, you brought up a nightmare more, there, by the way. I'm just yeah, saying. exactly, exactly. There you go. Gen Z is much more influencer based. We're very uh, siloed. It's not as hivey. It's very like my, the algorithms have been so perfected now that my feed is very focused on X, Y, and Z, and your feed is focused on A, B, and C. Right? It's sort of mm-hmm. directed, and so reaching Gen Z, like we have these verticals now that you need to tap into much more specific verticals, specific individualized marketing almost and the way that you have to reach i think one of the biggest things is partnering with these key influencers you know i I mean more than ever you can reach a really intense segment and really personalized content everyone's creating content now by connecting with the right influencers so there's a lot that i mentioned I, i can't give advice to which influencer is good or not but there's a lot that are specific, whether it be workout influencers, sports, even, you know, Olivia Dunn, she's a very popular influencer. I'll, I'll use, she's a famous gymnast from LSU, very popular influencer. She posted at a NASCAR race with two soldiers sort of there. That was instantly a positive pro-America, pro-military sort of oh, post sure. that, that actually impacted people, right? Much more than respectfully one of the news stations that no Gen Z is really watching, right? So <laughs> you need to tap into this network of influencers and actually the DOD should have this massive sort of collaboration because influencers love and need content as well. I mean, what's cooler than going on a military base for a day and being able to, you know, again, op second mind, being able to film an exercise or film them doing something or film them learning. Like there really is a good symbiotic relationship there, but it needs to be built out into a formalized program or or just a centralized database like this influencer this community this recruiter can tap in they're doing an event they're doing a discussion they're doing a webinar becomes a more modernized approach than let me stroll into high school and post up the old-fashioned way with a with a desk it's just not as impactful than than reaching thousands of people you need you need both because i believe in the old-fashioned approach a little bit um can't just disregard it but you need that modernist approach too and that's that's an example so it's very similar to, so my son is currently serving on, uh, he's an infantry officer. Uh, he's now yeah. in Fort Bliss, but he was in Germany and they were doing an exercise before they deployed to Poland and the science channel came in and did a feature on them and they use that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the public affairs officer came in and really guided that whole, you know, I guess event um, mm-hmm. so you're talking about using stuff like that to showcase, but also then an influencer. So if an influencer were with them, I mean, really being able to showcase that and grow the up. Wow. I think that would be because you always see, you know, military at events, right? I mean, you're going to see military at the world series that starts Friday. And, and I, I think that showcasing folks, and really understanding your audience. So marketing is key, right? Gen Z, understand what your, who your audience is before you start to, you know, create your marketing and, and things like that. So, I mean, that sounds, yeah, sounds like a basic marketing class that, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, that, uh, no, it's true. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, and so that they can understand who they're marketing to and, mm. um, well, and, you know, the recruiter as a career, that is a, 
that's a phenomenal concept. I mean, the Air Force, you know, when I was in the Air Force, typically uh, I served in a naval base close to Keesler Air Force Base. Most of them had served 20 years there mm-hmm. because they never had to, their their job never moved and they could do their, their job there. So, well, I mean, I, you know, I've absolutely enjoyed this conversation and I think this is going to be the toughest question of all for you. Cause I know you got to get back to your Marines. Um, okay. But what three books, excluding yours, would you recommend <laughs> to my audience and why? That's a good one. I'll just, if I can add one, one comment specifically yeah, to your absolutely. audience, I think that's interesting. Um, when I was young in college, I got the chance to meet Admiral Mike Mullen, who was the head of the joint chiefs. He spoke to us. It was really cool. I took a picture with him. It was very smart. I took a picture with him when he spoke in person. I saved that picture, sent the picture to his uh, secretary, and I said, hey, I actually met him in person. Would he be willing to give me 30 minutes of mentorship advice? I was the random civilian kid that he met, and he did. And it was an amazing phone call. And one thing I think he'd be happy if I shared that inspired this, and specifically for your viewers, is if we can get the military to just understand a little bit about the business world or understand the incentives, a little bit of the lessons, you, you would change everything. I'll never forget that quote because it came when I was young and developing, like, must have been 17 or something. That was super, super impactful. Uh, and that and that's one of the goals. Now, books. Okay. So there's a few key books I think that are super interesting uh, for everyone to have. My personal recommendation, because this was my mentor and he was the person I watched write a book and sort of help market the book. And it was the direct inspiration for mine. It's the technology side of this problem. If mine is the people is Chris Bros's The Kill Chain, right? Super, super important. The Kill Chain is is, um, all about our technology innovation, how we have to change, how we have to evolve. It's the missiles, weapons, uh, technology stack of the DOD that needs to be innovated. So Chris Bros, former Senate Armed Services Committee staffer, um, The Kill Chain is key. I'd say the other one, um, the arsenal of democracy, explaining how we actually won World War II. It's a, another business-minded book. It's how we out-innovated, we outbuilt our enemies. Um, super important. Uh, there's a lot of positive trends about bringing manufacturing back to the U.S., but that's a key component. If you think of the military as a, as a three-legged stool, you have the military itself, you have the manufacturers that make the equipment, um, and then you sort of have the the, the will of the people and the congressional and political branch and the manufacturers that make the equipment are super important. Uh, and, and I believe in that. Um, then the third book, this goes more in the fiction and the future war side. Uh, it's interesting. I have a few for this, but probably 2035 or ghost fleet fits in there, right? Cause those are modernist thinking about future warfare and combat books. Uh, man, I, I have a lot of books. I really like to read, so I can get also business books too. Um, but <laughs> uh, a lot, a lot. So anyway, the point is there's a lot of good things to read. I hope as many people as possible can come to have this discussion, understand military recruiting. It's really important. Um, and hopefully this is a good starting point, the the 21 solutions and uh, problems. Well, that's awesome. And, and I believe it was Am- Admiral Yamamoto who said, I believe we awakened the sleeping giant after Pearl Harbor. Exactly. And yep. uh, it's true. I mean, our industrial, con- you know, our industrial centers have, you know, our, our infrastructure needs to be, and it they're working on it, but they're a little bit behind the eight ball or something. Yes. If the balloon goes up, we're we're a little bit, 
Yeah, we should, we should be trouble. honest with saying we should be honest yeah. with that. Right now, yeah. we are like objectively, and that it's a big issue. And I, I, it's a big issue. So yeah, we have to work on it. We 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 need to do something and yeah. do it quick. Um, well, this has been great. Um, I know that um, as a current serving, I won't get into what your career is. Uh, I know you're what you're doing from an intel perspective, but. Uh, uh, you know, I, I just want to say thank you for your service and your sacrifice. Um, I, you know, I love the thank you for your service, but actually we sacrifice a lot by serving. And uh, so I appreciate that, especially with uh, you're in a leadership role. You impact, you know, many, many Marines. And uh, so thank you for that. Uh, I'll give you the final word as I do with my guests. So take it away. Well, th- thank you, sir. I-, I really had a great discussion today. I appreciate it. Um, I'd say to everyone out there, you know, specifically for this topic, uh, it's important that as many minds are on this topic as possible, as many people can think about this as possible, because if we can crowdsource ideas and just get the conversations flowing, military connected and even not military connected, mostly not military connected, right? The 99% of the other pop- part of the population, understanding the military, what it does, what a possible time in service, career in service could look like, how we can make that better and more appealing to American youth that are coming out of high school and college. That's that's sort of the key goal here. And that's the call to action. So as many conversations as, as we can possibly have at the dinner table uh, in the supermarket, you know, in the town square, that's key. So that's my call to action. Well, I appreciate that very much. And I'm actually having that conversation with my youngest. Uh, so there you go. Well, he's having it with his older brother, too. <laughs> I love it. I, but, love uh, it. Uh, I greatly appreciate uh, you coming on the show today. And this has been great. Thank you again for your sacrifice. Stay safe. And uh, hoo-yah. Thank you, sir. Urat, tell your youngest, you know, Marine Corps is always open. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. In order to help others, please subscribe and share this show up with other veteran business owners in your network. If you want specific guidance, feel free to book a complimentary call with Dean at deanvandyke.com. Remember, you wouldn't go into battle alone, and now you don't have to in business.